1: I'm Frank Holland, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show is live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. here at CNBC Global Headquarters, and here is your 5 at 5. We begin with going for three. Stock futures under pressure yet again as Wall Street comes to grips with the Fed's outlook of higher for longer. Also, activist alert, Disney taking issue with Nelson Peltz and his slate of board nominations as the try-on proxy battle escalates yet again. And a rough day for aerospace after another bad day for Boeing and even worse day for Spirit Airlines. Plus, troubling signs out of China as its economy does something for the first time in more than two decades. We are live in Beijing. Also, energy's wall of worry, it only grows as the U.S. continues strikes against Houthi rebels as Iran now denies any involvement with those attacks. It is Wednesday, January 17th, 2024. You are watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Good morning and welcome to Worldwide Exchange. I am Frank Holland. Let's get you ready to start your day. As always, we kick off the hour with a check on U.S. stock futures, with the Dow coming off back-to-back losing sessions, and the Nasdaq seeing its first down day in six. You can see right here, Right across the board, the Dow looks like it would open about 140 points lower. The Nasdaq down more than a half a percent. The S&P down just about a half a percent. But the big story for the Dow that remains Boeing under a bit of pressure again today, after another 8% slide yesterday that accounted for nearly half of the Dow Industrials 231-point slide. This after the company named a new independent advisor to its board to help improve its quality controls. You see shares of Boeing. For the week, down more than 12%. We're going to stick with aerospace. A quick check on Spirit Airlines. Lower again this morning after losing nearly half of its value yesterday after a U.S. judge called its deal with JetBlue, a violation of antitrust laws. Taking a look at shares this morning, Uh, you can see they're in the red for the week, down more than 55%. Of course, we also have to check the bond market with the 10-year yield holding above 4% this morning. You see right now at 4.04%. We'll talk a lot more about bond moves later in the show and also the energy market. Another hot topic today. We're looking at oil this morning. You're seeing it actually decline this morning, partly due to the stronger dollar. WTI crew, that's the U.S. benchmark, down more than 2%. Similar level for Brent crew, that's the international benchmark. Okay, that is your morning setup. Now let's get a check on some of this morning's top corporate stories. Our Bertha Coombs joins us with those Bertha good morning
2: Good morning, Frank. Disney is rejecting Nelson Peltz's latest effort to capture board seats at the media giant, saying the activist investor lacks new ideas and its former executive, referring to ex-Chief Jay Rosulo, whom Peltz also nominated to the board, has been away from the industry too long. In a filing yesterday, Disney out with its recommended list of 12 board nominees. The company also disclosing it has had no less than 20 meaningful interactions with Peltz since last February, including a November 19th New York City sit-down between Iger and Peltz, Bob Iger, that is, and a November 21st phone call during which Disney said Peltz offered no new strategic insights. As for CEO Bob Iger, he his he, his compensation came out in just under $32 million last year. That's down from nearly $46 million in 2021. BP, meantime, is appointing interim CEO Murray Auchincloss as its permanent chief executive four months after his predecessor, Bernard Looney, resigned in scandal, admitting that he failed to disclose past relationships with colleagues. The decision marks the end uh, to a period of uncertainty for the London oil giant that's seen its shares fall more than 16 percent over the past three months. And a temporary spending bill aimed at preventing a partial u s government shutdown set for Saturday passage, its first procedural test in the Senate when the chamber voted a six to Sorry, I'm having trouble reading that number, 68 to 13, to advance the measure. Many lawmakers were absent due to weather. Clearing that key hurdle keeps the legislation on track to be approved in time to meet the shutdown deadline and keep the government funded through at least March 1st. March 1st, Frank. Yeah, (laughs) I guess we do this (laughs) a little bit at a time.
1: You know what? You're going to get by with a little help from your friends, Bertha. We're going to see you later in the show. Thank you very much. And we are watching for that deadline. All right, switching gears, looking at Wall Street now. Investors bracing for a fresh round of Fed speak today. Fed Governor Michelle Bowman and New York Fed President John Williams both set to offer the latest insight into the policy path forward. Those comments coming on the back of those by Fed Governor Christopher Waller, saying while the central bank will likely cut rates this year, a shift in monetary policy doesn't have to be, quote, in his words, rushed. For much more on this, let's bring in Gina Sanchez, Chanchico Global CEO and a CNBC contributor, as well as Mark Avalon, Potomac Wealth Advisors president. Great to have you both here. Good morning, Gina. I'm going to start with you. Uh, Waller also added in his comments "The data is as good as it gets. But again, he said the rate should be lowered methodically and carefully. So give me a sense. How did you read this? Was this dovish or was this simply the data dependent Fed that we keep hearing about?
3: You know, this is the data defendant Fed we keep hearing about. And and here's the thing is the Fed Fund's futures have priced in six rate cuts for this year alone. I doubt that the Fed is going to get three in this year. And that's a big difference in terms of where rates end up at the at the end of the year. And. The equity markets are priced for all six of those rate cuts. In fact, to some degree, they need them to justify um, where their multiples are right now. And quite frankly, the bond market needs those as well. Otherwise, you're going to feel some bond pain at the long end um, as that inverted yield curve sort of works itself out this year. So every single market right now is poised for a lot of Fed cuts that I don't think are going to happen as quickly as they're priced in.
1: So you don't think a lot of Fed cuts are happening? Just give me a sense. The market's still pricing in six. Where are you at, Gina? Gina?
3: So I'm probably at two to three.
1: Oh, okay, A bit of a contrarian there. Uh, Mark, I'm going to come over to you. Same question as I asked Gina. Um, The comments from Waller, were they dovish? Is this the dovish talk that everybody's been waiting for? Or was it simply just more maintaining the data-dependent Fed that we keep hearing about, whether it's Jerome Powell or other Fed speakers?
4: Well, we've always said two to three rate hikes in 2024. And there were reasons for that. The job market is just way too strong. Wage growth remains. It's very it's very reasonable there in the three to four percent wage hike range that a Fed then doesn't cut when you have unemployment below four and wages close to four percent on the increase. You're not going to get a Fed that's going to reignite inflation. And we've said a Fed that was wrong on the other side of this movement that they weren't going to try to scramble and look like they had lost control of the battle they want to bury inflation inflation is not close to their two percent target and I think it's a continuation of what the Fed was saying all along. except we had a little pillow talk late in the fourth quarter that investors jumped on and thought it was a massive change it was just a bit of a hint that they realized inflation was coming down but not beaten and I think that's where the misconception was I think we have to look forward to a stronger economy in 2024 not robust but just a bit too strong for the Fed to get dovish.
1: All right, Mark Evelyn calling it pillow talk, all the market exuberance. Gene, I want to come back over to you. You're watching the spread on the two year and the 10 year. It's actually the narrowest that we've seen since October of last year. What does that signal to you? What do you think that means about the market going forward, at least until we get the next PCE?
3: So, look, I think we have to see where we land in terms of this slowdown. You know, I think there are now very, very few economists holding on to, you know, recession talk. Now we're we're just looking at maybe 1.2 percent growth next year, which is still a slowdown from this year, by the way. And so, you know, we are still, you know, slated to slow down. And these higher interest rates are still working their way through, through the economy. They haven't really hit the high yield market. They haven't hit, you know, there's still a lot of segments of the market. They haven't really even hit kind of the credit card balances um, that we still see consumer spending on credit cards. Now, that's starting to slow, and at some point that's going to bite as well. So all of those slowdowns will have to happen. Um, but I don't think it's going to okay. slow enough for the the 10-year the to sort of stay where it is. We right. have to get back to normal.
1: Yeah, a, a lot of people watching that spread between the two-year and the 10-year, so something we'll continue to watch. Mark, before we go, I want to come back to you. Actually, I actually want to come full circle. You're calling some of the talk about the Fed cuts as some pillow talk, but at the same time, Waller said inflation is on target. He also has called the jobs number that was stronger than expected noise. You're watching earnings season very closely. How does the 2% rise in the dollar the volatility in the oil market. How does this all factor in with what you're saying is the data dependent Fed?
4: Well, I agree with a lot of what Gina said and that the Fed lags haven't really taken effect. I think that earnings going forward are going to be the key. Have our companies going to be able to continue to live up to this market expectation of double digit earnings growth. I think that's going to be the bottom line. It's been the Fed and it's been earnings, and that's what the market's going to look for. And we think that earnings ex- estimates are a bit high. And when that happens, we're gonna see the multiple, especially in the very highly valued stocks. We think we're gonna okay. see the pain there. And that's why we think investors should be broadening out exposure to look for a muddled growth okay. 2024. And I think that that's where we're going to see the the real shakeout uh, looking forward.
1: All right, Gina Sanchez, Mark Avalon, both believe we're seeing two to three cuts this year. Uh, a little bit different from consensus. Great to see you both. Thank you very much. All right. we got a lot more to come here on Worldwide Exchange, including the one word that investors have to know today. But first, new troubling signs out of China and its latest economic outlook doing nothing to reassure already burned investors in those regions. Plus, a CNBC exclusive with Iran's foreign minister. He says his country has no association with the Houthi rebels. Reaction to that in just a moment. And then later here on Worldwide Exchange, much more on the Fed's outlook for 2024 and the volatility, including central bank commentary, former Fed vice chair, Roger Ferguson. He's here on WEX. We have a very busy hour still ahead when Worldwide Exchange returns. Stay with us.
0: You haven't heard about the McCrispy yet. Well, then you probably haven't heard the sweet silence after the first crispy bite either. Go try it for yourself to hear the best not sound you've ever heard.
5: Walmart Plus members save on Meeting Up With Friends.
1: All right. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Right across the board overnight in Asia as Chinese stocks sink to their lowest level in five years on the back of more disappointing economic data. Our Eunice Yun joins me now from Beijing with much more Eunice. Good morning.
6: Hey, Frank. Well, the GDP for the fourth quarter, as well as the year, came in at 5.2%. But the analysts' take is that it's not as good as it sounds, uh, mainly because this is a year-on-year comparison coming off of a very chaotic 2022, which was riddled with COVID lockdowns. Uh, The December data came in mixed, but there are some points that would suggest a lackluster outlook. The home prices fell in December the most in nine years. Uh, Home price instability has been uh, one of the factors. been weighing on the greater economy as well as consumer sentiment. Uh, retail sales missed, and a rejiggered uh, youth unemployment figure uh, resurfaced from about a half a year ago, which showed 14.9%. Uh, that was a whole lot better than the consistent 20% or so of joblessness uh, figures that we had seen prior to that. Officials say that uh, the reason for the uh, change is that they now don't uh, reflect students who are looking for part time work. Now, if, if in Investors were anticipating that uh, we might see some uh, meaningful stimulus. It looks as though the leadership is uh, pretty happy with these figures. Uh, The premier, Li Chang, in Davos had tipped the numbers and had actually said that uh, they were able to achieve this figure and this target without massive stimulus. Frank?
1: So, Yunus, uh, again, Chinese GDP coming in slightly lower than expected. We're seeing the impact on the markets. The Hang Seng down about 3.5 percent. I want to ask you about another data point, though, the birth rate. So the birth rate falling to a record low, birth year over year, falling 5 percent second year in a row. Uh, What was the response to that? Is that something that Chinese officials are very concerned about?
6: They're definitely concerned about it. It wasn't so much of a surprise because uh, the demographics have been weighing on the outlook here for quite some time. But as you've pointed out, the birth rate at a record low, the death rate actually doubled from last year, of course, when the pandemic restrictions were suddenly lifted. Um, but what uh, people had been anticipating is that uh, there might be a pickup in births uh, because of, you know, post COVID, and that didn't really happen. There's some discussion now here that uh, that could be because uh, China is converging with, say, Japan or South Korea, with the development of the economy. But there's also um, a a loud voice of people who are thinking that this might have to do with the outlook and a change in sentiment here about the greater uncertainty about the future.
1: All right, Eunice Yun live in Beijing. Chinese stocks fall to a five-year low. Eunice, great reporting as always, and always great to see you. All right, turn our attention now to Europe, following Asia's lead sharply lower, Arabile Goumede is in our London newsroom with much more on the early action. Arabile, good morning.
0: Yeah, good morning, Frank. So the market across Europe has certainly taken that negative lead then from Asia and also followed through into some negativity then across the board. You'll see the likes of Puma drop off around 4%. Even the likes of Adidas also uh, following through as well with negative uh, movements as well. Uh, You do have also some economic data points to have pushed the FTSE 100 lower today. You had uh, some uh, numbers coming out with regards to the CPI print out of the UK. 4% year on year was the figure for for the month of December then, 0.4% figure for the month-on-month data. Both of those are 0.2 percentage points higher than was initially anticipated. A 3.8% handle was anticipated then for the December number year-on-year. And that kind of gives a clear sense that things do remain a little bit sticky. In fact, you even saw interest rate swaps then uh, in the UK point to 114 basis points of cuts this year as opposed to the 122 basis points of cuts that were anticipated uh, for 2024 then as of yesterday. So clearly, then, a drawdown in anticipation of the amount of interest rate cuts. Kind of the sentiment that follows through as well from Davos uh, that we have heard from quite a few central bank officials as well, including those from the ECB. But overall, we are seeing the market head a little bit lower, with treasuries heading a little bit
1: higher. Frank. Yeah. All right. Airbile Gumidi, live in our London newsroom. Airbile, always great to see you. Thank you. All right. Coming up here on Worldwide Exchange, to check on the energy sector's wall of worry, and new comments from one Iranian official, they may throw a wrench into what's been seen as a Mideast regional power play by Tehran. Stay with us. Much more WEX coming up.
0: You haven't heard about the McCrispy yet. Well then, you probably haven't heard the sweet silence after the first crispy bite either. Go try it for yourself to hear the best not sound you've ever heard.
1: All right. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. We're now turning to the energy complex and the price of natural gas coming off a more than 12 percent drop yesterday. It's worst day since March on forecast. that demand will sink later this month when temperatures are expected to turn warmer than normal. Still, prices are hovering at their highest level going back to three months on what seems like an entire wall of worry for natural gas and just the entire energy sector. Those worries include that cold Arctic air impacting much of the continental U.S., leading to power outages and hitting just about everything from football games to air travel. Yesterday, more than 3,600 flights were canceled, according to FlightAware, with nearly half of all flights out of Reagan National, LaGuardia, Chicago O'Hare, and Boston Logan delayed. Today, we are already approaching 2,000 cancellations. Then, of course, there's the Red Sea and those ongoing Houthi rebel attacks. This week, liquefied natural gas suppliers, including Russia and Qatar, they're just starting to avoid the region entirely, joining some of their crude oil shipping peers. The crisis is something that Chevron CEO Michael Wirth, he weighed in on from Davos yesterday. Ships that go through the Arabian Gulf and the Red Sea regularly. Uh, Last year, we had two ships, um, attacked by the Iranian Navy. We had one ship was boarded off helicopters mm-hmm. by commandos and the ship was actually hijacked and taken into an Iranian port where we coordinate, uh, every vessel movement, uh, with, uh, you know, U.S. and other, uh, you know, military, uh, authorities that, uh, are in the region. But it's a very serious, uh, situation. It seems to be getting worse. All right. Joining me now is Amrita Sen, founding partner and chief oil analyst at Energy Aspects. Amrita, good morning. It is really great to have you here this morning. Morning. So looking at oil prices this morning, they're in the red, but that's off of a stronger dollar. I want to talk to you about these Houthi rebel attacks, the disruption in the Red Sea, what appears to be an escalation. How should investors view all of this?
7: I mean, it's a great point that, you know, investors have been brushing aside um, what has been going on in uh, in the Red Sea. And I do feel like there are lots of excuses being given as to there's refinery maintenance coming on, so seasonally crude demand will be lower, or the fact that OPEC has a lot of spare capacity. So if there were to be an outage, they could bring back oil quite quickly. All of those factors are uh, correct, but I think the one thing we shouldn't forget is that, Imagine just a few years ago, if we were talking about Houthi attacks in the Red Sea, I don't think anybody would say Brent would be sub $80. I think we talk about well over $100. So there is still a lack of confidence in uh, trading this market and coming back to this market. Where you are seeing a lot of movement is actually in the physical market. Crude differentials in the physical market, and you can see that in the prices, have been going up quite substantially. Uh, Relative value trade, so one crude versus other, that's where a lot of the movement has been. And yeah, look, we are actually, uh, what we are seeing is the Mediterranean in particular, potentially will run out of crude in the first half of february because you just can't get vessels there in time and I, that's right. quite significant
1: i think that is very significant in fact i want to talk to you about some news out of davos so overnight the u.s launching another airstrike against houthi rebels targeting anti-ship ballistic missile sites the biden administration maintains the group is being backed by iran but speaking exclusively with our dan murphy at davos today Iran's foreign minister is just completely disputing that claim. Amrit, I want you to listen to this. I want to get your reaction.
0: The people of Yemen and other countries in the region who defend the Palestinian people are acting according to their own experience and through their own interests, and they are not receiving any order of instructions from us. Maritime and waterway security is of paramount importance to us because we trade and export oil.
1: So again, Ma'am Rita, overnight, U.S. launching another airstrike at the same time, the Iranian foreign minister denying any involvement with the Houthi rebels. What's your take?
7: Look, it almost doesn't matter where where, where the involvement is or from whom, right? The reality is that right now, on both sides, ships have just stalled, um, and no company is really willing to take the risk of... uh, crossing the Red Sea. And I think that's where we, by the way, we do expect um, US and UK attacks to continue. But we also don't think that's going to deter the Houthis from stopping the attacks. And I think that's exactly why uh, companies are either diverting ships via the Cape of Good Hope that adds about 15 to 20 days uh, to come to Europe, or they just they've just stalled just hoping that there is a resolution.
1: So, you're speaking to some of the supply chain challenges due to these attacks. Um, Amin Nasser, the CEO of Saudi Aramco, also spoke at Davos this morning on the Red Sea crisis. He says in the short term, tanker availability shouldn't be a problem, but it could turn into a big problem long term. Your reaction to those comments?
7: Yes. Absolutely agree. And I think this is one of the things Like in the short term, people do have some storage. They can always draw that down. But if you think about it, we've already blocked up Russian oil rather than going to Europe, which was two to three day voyage time. It's going all the way to Asia now. India is about 30 days or even further. So you're tying up vessels for longer. At the same time, now what you're doing is, from the Middle East, you're, again, going to take 15, 20 days. So much longer routes taken by vessels, which suddenly means there's a shortage of ships available because they're tied up for
2: longer.
1: Yeah, tied up for longer. And I just want to add one more. I'm not going to ask you to respond, but the mayor CEO in Davos saying he believes the Red Sea disruption will last several more months. I think the last question we have to ask you before we let you go. Where do you see oil heading? You mentioned it's sub-$80. I think a lot of people would have been surprised several years ago after Houthi attacks that it's sub 80 In 2024, where do you see oil going?
7: Look, I still think prices will average in the mid-80s um, this year, but I don't think that's going to happen in Q1 because sentiment is still very weak. And seasonally, you know, we've got maintenance coming up. I think it's really from the summer onwards that we see oil prices heading higher.
1: All right, Emre Sen, great to see you. Thank you for your time and for your insight. Thank you. All right, coming up here on Worldwide Exchange, the chip stock flirting with a fresh record high after a big Barclays boost yesterday. And if you haven't already, follow our podcast. If you miss Worldwide Exchange, check us out on Apple, Spotify, or other podcast apps. Much more Wex coming up after this. It is right around 5.30 a.m. in the New York City area, and there's a lot more ahead here on Worldwide Exchange. Here is what's still on deck, Stocks set to continue their pullback, with the Nasdaq snapping its six-day win streak. The growing signals within the markets that the bulls may be stepping off to the sidelines. Top of mind for investors, the Fed and its rate cut prospects today. More cold water being thrown on hopes for near-term action. Former Fed Vice Chair Roger Ferguson, he's here standing by to break down the disconnect between the markets and the Fed. Also, Warren Buffett's Berkshire Hathaway making it official adding full control of one of the largest travel center operators to the portfolio. It is Wednesday, January 17, 2024. You are watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. I am Frank Holland. Let's get you ready to start your day. As always, we pick up the half an hour with a check on U.S. stock futures, following yesterday's pullback on fresh Fed commentary. More on that in just a moment. But first, you can see Futures in the red across the board. Looks like the Dow would open up 150 points lower, hitting its lows of the morning. We're also checking the bond market right now. Take a look at the yield on the 10-year right now, jumping yesterday to its highest level since mid-December, pushing stocks lower. The move coming as another top Fed official pushes back against expectations. There may be as many as six rate cuts this year. Fed Governor Christopher Waller saying he's confident inflation is on a path to that 2% target, but he says there's no need to rush policy. Waller adding he sees no reason to cut rates as rapidly as in the past. Waller, the first of roughly half a dozen Fed members speaking this week. Let's talk much more about this with Roger Ferguson, former Fed vice chairman, past president and CEO of TIAA, as well as a CNBC contributor. Roger, I'm going to call you friend of the show as well. Good morning. Thank you for being here.
8: Good morning. Nice to be with you.
1: So I just want to get your take on the comments from Waller. Did you believe it was dovish? Uh, What's your outlook when it comes to cuts for this year? Do you believe six is still possible?
8: First, I would say Waller's comments were straight down the middle, and I think you'll hear more of them. Um, I would not call them dovish. I think I'd call them a reflection of where he is um, in this whole process. In terms of the number of cuts this year, I think more likely two to three, you know, consistent with what they last said in their so-called dot plots. I think the market is uh, disconnected from current Fed thinking.
1: You know, you're the third person today to say they believe it's going to be two or three. Give me a sense. Why is the market so disconnected from what the Fed is signaling and telling us all? And do you believe, is there a possibility that there could be no rate cuts this year at all?
8: I think it's unlikely there to be no rate cuts this year um, because inflation does seem to be on a downward trend. um, And it's possible that things could weaken further. Uh, and so I think even with a normal, uh, Fed policy move, they don't want, uh, uh, real rates to get into, uh, more restrictive territory. So as inflation comes down, rates, I think, do have to come down somewhat with them. Um, why is there the disconnect? I think Fed officials are focused on what they think of as risk management. They want to avoid the big mistakes they've made in the past, which have primarily been, you know, sort of stop-start you know, fighting inflation, taking your foot off the brake. Uh, Inflation picks up again, and there they are having to speed up. So I think their natural inclination is to move more slowly. Markets, I think, are listening to the Fed to some degree, but saying, well, you know, in the last, you know, year and a half, the Fed has often been wrong about what actually was going to happen. Um, And so, you know, why should markets put a great deal of weight on what they say? Let's watch and see what actually, you know, unfolds. And so I think, you know, you have uh, two different forces at work here at the Fed being focused on history and avoiding some mistakes, and the market, yeah, I, I think, being focused on their expectations.
1: You know, Waller alluded to 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 that in his comments, avoiding some mistakes from the the past. Um, I want get back to the odds of a rate cut. So the markets are trimming those odds uh, that we're gonna see a cut at the March meeting from a sixty one percent chance of a quarter point move, death down from roughly just about sixty-five percent a week ago. So we talked about the disconnect, but do you think very slowly the Bulls, as we said in in the RTs, are moving to the sidelines, um, and some, some more, I guess, rational people that are actually listening to the Fed, are, are they kind of just tempering our expectations now?
8: Yeah, I think they are. I, mean, I think the market and the Fed will gradually get back into sync. You know, obviously, March will come. Um, and I think the, the talk for the rest of this week um, and before they go into the blackout period will be very much around pushing back on this uh, scenario that exists in the markets. At the end of the day, you know, the data will prove it. Uh, but I would okay. say yes. I would expect the expectations of March will start to recede from the market.
1: One other thing that Waller commented on is that he anticipates the Fed slowing its pace of quantitative easing. Uh, currently, the central bank letting about 95 billion roll off its balance sheet every month. Your take on those comments?
8: I think he's reflecting um, the consensus of the view that, that this so-called quantitative tightening will continue. It was interesting to hear Lori Logan, who is perhaps the, the uh, most experienced voice in this the other day, maybe express some need to slow that down. So I think that is actually more of a debate at the table right now uh, than the pace of, of cuts. It's really the pace of the so-called quantitative tightening and allowing the uh, balance sheet to, to, uh, to shrink.
1: All right. Roger Ferguson says two to three cuts likely for 2024. Roger, great to see you. Thank you, as always. All right. Time now for a check on some of this morning's top corporate stories. Our Bertha Coombs has those. Bertha, good morning.
2: Hey, good morning, Frank. Warren Buffett's Berkshire Hathaway officially taking full ownership of pilot travel centers. Berkshire buying the remaining 20 percent stake in the North American truck stop operator from the Haslam family, which owns the Cleveland Browns. Terms of the sale were not disclosed. The deal comes just over a week after the two sides settled a billion-dollar lawsuit over an accounting method that the family complained would artificially depress the sale price of its stake in Pilot. Meantime, Sam Altman is opening up about being fired from OpenAI late last year. Speaking in Davos, Altman says the night he was pushed out by the board was, quote, wild, adding that he felt, quote, super confused and was super caught off guard. The OpenAI founder and CEO says it wasn't until some board members called him the following day that he even waived the idea of returning to the company. Speaking of AI, Amazon is looking to further tap into the red hot technology to help its customers. The company is rolling out a generative AI tool that can answer shoppers questions about a product. Feature in Amazon's mobile app prompts users to ask questions about a specific item before giving an answer based off of information collected from product reviews and the listing itself. Because why should you have to read through those reviews yourself, Frank? It should do it for you.
1: (laughs) You know, we had another company that had its own AI, you know, shopping tool. I'll be curious to see if this catches on. I feel like I want to look through myself and, as you mentioned, read the things myself. But we'll have to wait and see. All right. Yeah,
2: I don't know. I've seen some of them already, and it's a little bit helpful just to get a little bit of a review at the top.
1: All right, innovation. We'll have to see how it all plays out. Bertha Coombs. Thank you very much. All right. Turn our attention now to D.C. The Supreme Court is set to hear arguments today on a pair of cases that are testing the powers and the scope of federal government uh, regulations and those powers. Our Eamon Javers joins us now with just how big of an impact these cases could have. Eamon, good morning.
9: Yeah, Good morning, Frank. This is a battle that conservative legal activists have been spoiling for over decades. At stake here is something called the Chevron Doctrine, which is a Supreme Court precedent from back in 1984 that says, in essence, that courts should defer to federal agencies when they're interpreting the gray areas of laws passed by Congress. Now, over the past several decades, that has amounted to a grant of enormous power to federal agencies of all kinds as they put in place the specific technical requirements that Congress is usually silent on. But now that very precedent is under attack in two cases that are going to be argued today, Relentless Inc. versus the Department of Commerce and Looper Bright Enterprises versus Raimondo. Now in Looper, the central debate there is between fishermen and their federal regulator, the agency, the National Marine Fisheries Service, uh, required vessels to carry fishing monitors aboard, uh, collecting details of how much fishing is done. But the government required the industry to pay for the cost of those monitors, which the fishermen and their lawyers say was just unfair. Now the lawyers are asking the court to overturn the Chevron decision, which could have sweeping implications, for thousands of other federal regulations with a six three conservative majority on the court observers expect the government to have a difficult time maintaining chevron and that could open up a huge window for businesses to push back on federal regulations of all kinds frank but first we have to see what the court does here uh, later on today we'll be monitoring all that and bring it to you throughout the day frank
1: yeah, really interesting case here. So as you mentioned, uh, what's that question here is what you call the Chevron document. Uh, that's where courts give deference to federal uh, agencies and their regulations. So if this gets rolled back, what comes next?
9: Well, that's a big question. We haven't seen a world like that since 1984, so it's unclear. Uh, but it, it would appear that at first uh, one of the things that could happen uh, is that you could have the regulatory agencies simply stop issuing regulations in the gaps between congressional lawmaking uh, and waiting for congress to write much more detailed laws up on capitol hill whether Congress is capable of that and writing the technical specs for things is, is an open question. And then, of course, the open question is how many existing regulations could be targeted by industry groups and saying, look, that was overreach on the part of the regulatory agency. We want that one rolled back with this new Supreme Court precedent. They might have real legal ammunition to go and do that. So it could be a field day on regulations uh, for the lawyers. We'll have to see.
1: All right. All right, Eamon Jarvis with the latest on the Supreme Court. Eamon, thank you very much. Always great to see you. Great reporting. You bet. All right, coming up here on Thanks Worldwide Exchange, more turbulence set for shares of Spirit Airlines after a federal judge delivers a major blow to its JetBlue merger hopes. But first, we have some of your top trending stories. Getting a $1 hot dog or a 5 buck rotisserie chicken becoming just a bit more difficult. Costco cracking down on membership verification requiring shoppers to scan their cards. Instead of just flashing them to employees and show their photo IDs at both self-checkout and at the regular checkout lanes. Big crack down there. An Irish whiskey gift set breaking the record for the most expensive whiskey sold at auction. A bottle which is only one of seven in the entire world, selling for $2.8 million and breaking the previous record of $2.7 million. It also comes with a decanter, wristwatch and customized jewelry, you get a whole set. And who would have thought? And No Doubt Reunion was on 2024's Bingo Card. The band set to perform for the first time in almost a decade at Coachella this year. Other confirmed headliners include Lana Del Rey, Tyler, the Creator, and Doja Cat. That's, that's quite the lineup. Gwen Stefani back with No Doubt. Worldwide Exchange coming back in a moment. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Time now for your morning call sheet. We start with UBS downgrading Ford's rating to neutral. It says it sees the automaker's stock as more fairly valued and sees limited upside to estimates for this year and next year than before. Take a look at shares of Ford right now, down more than 2%. JPMorgan downgrading its rating on Morgan Stanley to neutral and lowering its price target to 87 bucks a share. JPM says it sees limited catalysts for its fellow big bank, at least in the near term. Those shares down more than 1%. And DA Davidson downgrading its rating and price target on Kathy Wood favorite, Teladoc Health, moving it to neutral and $22 a share. It cites the stalling of growth in Teladoc's two core business drivers as it manages the platform built from large acquisitions, shares of Teladoc down almost two and a half percent. All right, time now for your global briefing. In Yemen, the U.S. launching new strikes against Houthi-controlled anti-ship missiles for a third time. This in response to fresh attacks from Houthi rebels on a Greek-owned cargo vessel yesterday and a U.S.-owned commercial ship on Monday. National Security Council spokesperson John Kirby says the U.S. is not looking for a war, but that the Houthis have a choice to make. Also on CNBC this morning, Iran's foreign minister denying any association between Tehran and the Houthis, adding, quote, Maritime security is of paramount importance to us because we export oil. That's the end of that quote. UK inflation unexpectedly rising to 4% in December from 3.9% in November. Now, this marks the first monthly uptick in inflation since last February. Higher alcohol and tobacco prices, the drivers for that increase. And China, missing Q4 GDP estimates with a 5.2% read That's compared to the estimate of 5.3 percent. The country's statistics bureau also out with employment figures after temporarily suspending them last summer, showing youth unemployment figures remain high at 14.9 percent. Also, China's property sector, which makes up more than 20 percent of its economy, selling off on the news and hitting an all-time low. All right. Ahead here on Worldwide Exchange, we have the one word that every investor needs to know today, plus the signals. Our next guest says the options market may be sending that the bulls are taking just a bit of a breather. We'll be right back here on Worldwide Exchange. Stay with us. All right. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Time now for your WEX wrap up. We start with shares of Spirit Airlines set to extend yesterday's massive sell-off that saw the stock close down more than 47 percent. This after a U.S. judge blocked JetBlue's $3.8 billion deal for the carrier, saying it violates antitrust law. Shares of Spirit right now down just about 8.5%. Sticking with aerospace, shares of Boeing also under a bit of pressure today after another 8% slide yesterday that accounted for nearly half of the Dow's 231-point drop. This after the company named a new independent advisor to its board to help improve its quality controls. Shares of AMD, they're moving higher after closing at their highest level yesterday since November of 2021, that upside move on the back of a Barclays upgrade that predicted. AMD could post $4 billion in AI chip sales this year. The stock's now just about 2% below its all-time high. Disney rejecting Nelson Peltz's latest bid for board seats, saying the activist investor lacks new ideas and has had less than 20 meaningful interactions with him since last February. Shares of Disney right now down just about a half a percent. BP appointing its interim CEO as the permanent chief executive after his predecessor resigned due to past relationships with colleagues. The decision marking the end to a period of uncertainty for BP, whose shares are down more than 16 percent over the last three months. Those shares down now just one percent. And a temporary spending bill aimed at preventing a partial U.S. government shutdown, passing its first test in the Senate with a 68 to 13 vote. Clearing that key hurdle keeps the government on track for funding through at least March 1st. All right. Here's what to watch today. December retail sales and industrial production, the January NAHB survey and the Fed's page book. Earnings from U.S. Bancorp, Charles Schwab, Citizens Financial, Prologis and Discover Financial, as well as a pair of Fed speakers on tab from Fed Governor Michelle Bowman and New York Fed President John Williams. Markets. They're looking to extend yesterday's losses as stocks continue their rocky start to 2024. Taking a look at futures right now, we see they are in the red. Looks like the Dow hitting its lows of the morning. Our Bob Pisani has more on the signals that will be key to watch as we work through this earnings season.
10: Fourth quarter earnings season is kicking off with a mix of good and bad news. The bad news, earnings estimates for the S&P 500 in the fourth quarter have dropped considerably from 11 percent expected on October 1st to only 4.4 percent today, led by big declines in health care, industrials and banks. Well, there's only a handful of companies that have reported so far, but most are beating on earnings estimates. They usually do, but a lot of companies are reporting revenues lower than expected, including Nike and FedEx and General Mills, CarMax, Conagra, Constellation Brands. Because of this, analysts have started lowering first quarter estimates for many of these companies. Guidance has also been off to a disappointing start. We saw Delta cutting guidance. So did microchip technology. Samsung Electronics reported lower operating profit due to subdued consumer demand. So there's a lot riding on these earnings in 2024. For the S&P to start increasing in 2024, earnings have to expand. 2023 earnings are expected to be up a paltry 2.9 percent. That's not much. The S&P was up 20 percent last year on a price basis. You can't keep having prices go up if the earnings don't go up as well. That doesn't work long term. Current expectations are for an earnings gain of 11% in 2024, led by what else? Technology. So far, Wall Street doesn't seem very worried about any of this, but it's early. That 11% estimate is only slightly lower than the 12% estimate for October 1st for the entire year. The biggest risk to higher earnings is lower revenue growth. Without higher revenues, companies are going to be forced to cut the cost to get to a growing bottom line. So watch for this double whammy of deteriorating pricing pressure and lower demand. Some companies are probably going to bet that, oh, we'll have lower prices and that'll stimulate the sales volumes. But for a lot of these companies, weaker demand and lower
1: sales prices are going to be a serious problem. Back to you, Frank. All right. Thanks to our Bob Pisani right there. Joining me now is Amy Wu Silverman, head of derivative strategy at RBC Capital Markets. Amy, good morning. Always great to see you.
5: Good morning, Frank.
1: All right. So Bob gave us a lot to digest there. But just in general, I want to get your take on earnings season so far and how you see it impact in the markets. We do have to keep in mind some of the, the uh, decline in the futures right now is due to some pressure from Boeing and also uh, the JetBlue deal being blocked.
5: Yeah, the great thing about earnings season, Frank, is there's always earnings dispersion. So meaning there's a lot of idiosyncratic information coming out. You mentioned two of them. But seasonally, when we look at volatility around this time, the first thing we note is January is not a great time. Uh, Volatility tends to really spike up and seasonally it's a drawdown time in the market. And the second part of that is the first few weeks of earnings are really important for volatility because you're getting all the new information. So it's actually a good time to own volatility. And obviously, given the environment, it's also a good time to consider hedging.
1: Yeah, You're mentioning volatility and the environment. Something we've been talking about all morning long is what's going on in the Red Sea. I know that's on your mind as well. So with that in mind, what's your WEX word of the day?
5: My WEX word of the day is escalation. I managed to keep it to one word this time. But look, you know, you think about the geopolitical risks that are across the globe right now. We, we just had Taiwan elections. We have Middle East tensions rising. Uh, we have U.S. elections coming in the United States. And the one thing I'll say is the options market. Tail hedging is incredibly inexpensive. It's been this case for the past few months, and from my perspective, it's the cost of your insurance is really attractive. You know, not necessarily it doesn't it mean that your house will go and get set on fire, but it just means that fire insurance is really cheap. Right.
1: So RBC making a call, uh, your colleague Halima Croft, uh, that there's a forty to fifty percent chance that the war escalates or the tensions and conflict escalates with Iran, and that's leading you to make a call when it. Comes comes to the energy market. Walk us through what the options market is saying and why you think right now there might be upside for energy.
5: Yeah, it's such a great point from Halima. And, you know, I'll just say Halima was one of the first people who was quite early on calling Russia Ukraine when I, if you recall, folks didn't think it was going to happen. You know, she called that probability as well. What we're looking at is energy call spreads. So when you look at the related ETFs, OIH, XOP, uh, even XLE, these ETFs that are proxies for the energy market, we think that upside using call spreads is relatively attractive. It gives you a high payout and it plays this tail hedge risk that's coming from the Middle East.
1: All right. Something else you're looking at. Speaking of, you're just kind of on topic with us today. Um, some things that are going on in China. Um, you're looking at Chinese equities right now, specifically uh, FXI, that ETF, what's the options market telling you when it comes to sentiment about Chinese equities and equities that have exposure to China?
5: You know, Frank, for most of the time, I'd say the options market is a good complement to the equity market. But sometimes the options market is very contrarian. This is a case here where the options market is extremely bullish. You're seeing a lot of upside being purchased. So call options, call spreads, which are essentially betting that we're going to get that China rebound, which if you remember, we didn't get last year, but it was quite consensus to think that we would get it last year. Didn't happen. Disappointed a lot of people. People are reinitiating these trades in China, even despite kind of escalating tensions potentially with Taiwan.
1: All right, Amy, one other thing. We got to get to this one really quickly. Um, You're also looking at the small caps. So the small caps have been outperforming the broader market over the last three months. Um, A lot of people are looking at the broadening of the market. Very quick, what are the options market? What's it telling us?
5: Uh, It's a little bit over the small caps, to be honest. It was quite bullish on it. You know, it was calling for that widening of breadth. We've seen that call sentiment wane pretty dramatically
1: as we began this year. All right. Got to leave it there. Amy Will Silverman, thank you very much. That's going to do it for us. Squawk Box and Davos coming up next. Have a great day. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern.
0: You haven't heard about the McCrispy yet. Well, then you probably haven't heard the sweet silence after the first crispy bite either. Go try it for
6: yourself to hear the best not sound you've ever heard.